It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Uh, we're here today with a very special guest, uh, Diane Miller, who resides in Chicago, a good friend of mine and a person who I like to engage in conversations about the subject matter we're about to delve into today. So if you have any questions or you'd like to make any comments while the show is going on, you feel free to dial 929-477-3074, 929-477-3074. So good afternoon, Diane. Hey, Charles. How are you? I'm getting older every day, so that must mean something. <laughs> we all are. Okay, well, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll leave that at that. We won't even go into the, the decades, the numerical portion of that. We'll just leave it that we're all getting older. And, and yep. hopefully we'll, we'll continue on that path for a while. So we're going to be talking about a, a great subject, uh, deconstructing the story of white. You know, I've been partnering that for the last several days, and I'm trying to figure out where it's going to lead off to and what it's going to entail but I was intrigued when when you gave me that subject matter, and I was, and I looked back at some of your writings, and uh, just want to bring our audience up to date. Diane had several writings on white ladies' chat, which was which we'll get into in a few minutes. But when you say something about you see, once you're taught something is wrong, human reaction typically elicits a corresponding learned situational response. For me, being you, this second half of life now evolves around unlearning much of what was learned in my formative years. It's about constantly challenging and reassessing my dual thinking in what I see as right and wrong. So that's going to lead us right into your telling us, Diane, about where did you grow up and tell us about that environment. Well, I grew up in a very small town in central Illinois. It was very um, homogenous, very small bubble. Um, I had no friends of color. I had one Jewish girlfriend growing up. That was it. So my world and worldview were very small until I went to college. In the 70s, I will say, I will add that. <laughs> <laughs> so what tell tell us about some of the things that in that world that uh in that small world that you grew up in that um that became apparent once you went to college and and what kind of experiences did you did you look back on and relate uh or were difficult in in terms of adaptation once you went to college? Well, you know, Charles, I've always been a very, a very curious person. So once I got to college and I had sweetmates who were African-American and um, this one gal, I distinctly remember Bay, like who was getting dressed up at 9 o'clock at night to go out. And, and she just always looked amazing. And, like, at 9 o'clock at night, this little white girl was getting ready to go to bed. 
And I just, I was enamored with um, just her, her, her different posture, her different perspective on life of going out at 9 or 10 o'clock at night um, with her idea of fun. I mean, that seems very basic, but it was surprising to me. When you grow up in a very small town, your view of normal is very small and um, a little limiting. So I love, I don't, I don't think going to college and being exposed was hard. I was just always curious and like, wow, this is, this is, what this person is doing. Um, so I was, I was always curious. I've always, that's always been my posture. Okay. You, you speak to, you had to unlearn or you, you're in the process of unlearning a lot of things in your later life uh, that were present in your formative years. In, in this small town environment, uh, not being exposed to other uh, ethnic classes or races, I mean, your curiosity then peaked in because obviously you had some connection with with some sort of media, uh, or was that something that uh, that didn't come about? And I know you say you you became more intimate with that once you went to college, but the curiosity didn't spike it, or were you just kind of told to not pay attention to those type of things? Well, that's a tough question to answer. Um, I remember the first time I went to African-American church was in college, so I chose to do that. I I just always had a curiosity to experience a different culture um, in different cultural ways. But I will say, um, because I grew up in the 60s, I remember on our black and white TV seeing all the things going on in Chicago. And one of my um, girlfriends, who is African-American, and I have deep conversations about when she grew up on the south side of Chicago, she was taught not to trust whites. And I grew up in a very small white homogenous community And in broad generalities, I was taught to fear blacks. Um, And that's the mindset that you grow up with. And honestly, Charles, I still go back to that community. And the diversity's changed a little bit because it's now a globalized world and we move around a lot. But there's still a prevailing mindset like that. I, I, you can feel it. So, so returning to that environment and still with that prevailing, mind, prevailing mindset, how, how do you interact since you um, experienced the other side of, of and, and, and expanded your worldview? How can you go back and relate to folks there, uh, or how do you relate to folks there? Well. It's hard. My posture usually went on my good days. I try to respond to um, <laughs> to things I hear with questions on my good days. Other days, because I'm very much um, a justice-focused person, I'm an Enneagram one, so if I hear something that pushes my justice button, um, I just, I might let somebody have it, um, being real. <laughs> but I, I yeah. try to respond with a posture of asking a question. I just think now I consider myself um, an urban um, relocator and redistribution type person through um, CCDA's core philosophies. That's kind of been my lifestyle for the past 20 years. And so I try to go into things with a different posture, an open mind and an open heart, because we all only know what we know. We're products of our environment. Okay. Well, 
the writing that, that, that I referenced at the beginning, the white ladies check and chat, I know you've done several, yeah. um, several of those writings, uh, in concert with your mother. Um, why did you do it? Why did you start it? And where are you now in terms of those writings? Well, I need to write some more. I start writing and kind of like doing your book, your uh, podcast. I mean, you get into it and it's like, where do you go? Like where it feels like the sixties all over again, only now I know, you know, I get things. Um, and so where do you go? And um, what audience do you select to write to? And I really feel like I need to write to an audience like my hometown. My, my husband always asks me when I write or when I speak. Now, if you say something, would your, would your sister understand that? Um, because a lot of times, once you live in an urban community or a very dirt, diverse um, environment, you, you do see things different, and you be, if you're highly educated, you, you use big words, and, and those don't work with all people. Um, and I think we saw with this election, I mean, we just have a lot of challenges in our country, and creating words and um, a posture of empathy and understanding each other is still so important, but we're all going and doing, so we don't always take the time for these front porch conversations. And that was a very long answer to your question. Um, I'm redoing my site, and I'm, I'm going to start writing and posting again, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out my posture with it, basically. Okay. I mean, in, in the part of your writing I wrote, I mean, that I spoke about, I mean, you say that you see once you were taught something is wrong, human reaction typically elicits a corresponding learned situational response. Yeah. Talk about that for a minute. So, I mean, well, you want me to give you an example that I, like, owned my stuff? Um, yes. An example yeah. at my daughter's high school. What happened is one day I, I drove over to her, to her very diverse high school to pick her up, and I saw a former um, grade school girlfriend of hers coming over a hill with her boyfriend, arms wrapped around each other, and all of a sudden he gave her a kiss. And I'm like, what? And I reacted, and in my mind I thought, I wonder if her mom knows about this. But what I had to really processed through in my brain is this girlfriend was of the creative white race <laughs> and her boyfriend was black. And I'm like, okay, did I react because it was a boyfriend or did I, did my mind react because of the color of his skin? Because of that fear thing I just talked about earlier, like that reaction um, it's so hard to get rid of, and especially as you age. Um, there's some words Isabel Wilkerson uses. Um, you know, she talks about how our, our feelings, our socio-emotion um, is, you know, embedded deep within our bones and in our, in our heritage that I, I mean, she's way more eloquent eloquent than me, but I love the way she describes that in some of her interviews that um, I've heard from her on. And, and I think those are words that kind of describe responses. We respond in particular, even at this age, you and I are um, senior status, many times be, from what we've learned in our formative or our childhood years, that pattern behavior is just really hard to get ourselves out of. But how 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 do we use that? Um, I mean, I, I understand that part of it is, but at some point there has to be a release. Uh, but then too, there's always that reversion because of things that are happening around us in the world or in our in our communities. Uh, 
because uh, something well, you said earlier. Some- sure. Okay. Can I say something? Because you said somehow there has to be a release. Well, all my friends of color say that. But the problem is when you're part of a white dominant culture and you're in control, you don't know that you're you're dominating or that everything's your way. I mean, every person of color understands that the empire exists. And most every white person I know is totally clueless. They don't know. It's all they've ever known. It's all they've ever lived in this country. So yeah, we let's hope there's some kind of reckoning with all the disruption we're having now and with technology and front porch conversations, but we need to start having a lot more conversations about the reality of lifestyles and understanding heritage. Um, Because most white people do not understand the heritage, the history of um, 12 generations the story of African-Americans in this country. We don't get that in history books. Well, if, if you're not getting it in a history book and, and, and you're saying that we need, need, need more of these conversations and this dialogue, how, how do you start it? How do you get that started in your community? Because obviously if you have a dominant culture, it's often going to be harder to, to take yourself or remove yourself from that role in order to deal with those, that subject matter. And you, you, and I'm not even think, I don't even think if it's possible to do, it has to be a mind thing because once you leave the conversation, you're still white, you're still privileged, you're still part of that dominant culture. And so, yeah. you, don't, you, yeah. you know, so it's, it has to be a, some sort of, uh, uh, metamorphosis process, I mean, like a changing, like a total change within oneself. I agree. And I honestly think because I've been a relocator and have just immersed myself in living in blended socioeconomic community, it has to be with. Unfortunately, the only model of leadership we really know well in this country is a very vertical top-down model, which manifests Mm -hmm. in many forms of paternalism um, and dominance, that's the only model of leadership we have. We, we don't really have a lot of models of width or lateral. So I like to tell my friends of color, like, if, if you have an opportunity to lead to do something, yes. I mean, people within um, – most people that understand lifting up indigenous leaders or leaders of color always want to give them the stage, but then we're, that's their line. But then we're gripped with this money thing or the paternalism that ends up (laughs) reverting back to white leading. So it's like, I think we need a model of sharing the stage together because it's a visual. And I just watched, um, oh, the woman from Disney, Disney, I want to call Babette. She does a lot of things with Donald Miller. She was talking about storytelling. And one of the things she used, and this is going to sound really pitiful, um, but she used the story from the 50s of uh, Shirley Temple and Bojangles of like mm-hmm. that visual is the first picture that white people saw of hand-in-hand hand, black and white. And I, I think we've got to create more visuals, and we've got, to, we've got to partner. I mean, I try to partner as much as I can with my friends of color to do things for them or partner with them to create a different picture of width because we've, it's got to be width, Charles. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But but then when those conversations are often initiated, um, and I'm hearing you too, and uh, one of the things uh, that re- that keeps coming up in my mind, uh, who decides what the purpose is? Who decides what the benefit is? I mean, who oh. is usually on the front end of that? It's not 
people of color. I know. I know. That's truth. Come on. I mean, so. I know. And and, and how do you get around that? Because it all gets back to money and power. And it's like, okay, the white girls just own it. I see it. I see it. But I'm also part of the largest subdominant people group on earth called women. So there's a whole thing with that. Yeah. I, I, we, we've got a lot of work to do, especially in the faith community. I, I mean, we talked about this a little bit. I mean, we've got caste, you know, we've got caste systems. Michelle Alexander talks about that. Isabel Wilkerson talks about that. I mean, we, we've, you know, we've got some theology issues. Well, even before we get into the whole thing with the faith community, the old theology issues, we need to first establish, you know, why, or we need to look at uh, some other dynamics of uh, why do I always need to be in control? Either way, um, and. And, and because of those issues, can we really have release? I mean, even even in the black side or even on the white side, will there ever be that, or is just, or are we just going through motions and just trying to placate one another, um, just to have the kumbaya moments and, and just let it let it settle for that and whatever develops going down the road, we can we can always pat ourselves on the back and say, look what we did, we made this noble effort to do nothing. Yeah, I don't know. We, I, I think the challenge is we all want to be part of something, especially those in faith community. I mean, we want to be on Jesus's side. And um, we've, been, we've been taught a lot of stuff that might not be, be, be Jesus. I mean, that's my tension now in um, white church. You know, I, I like I, I'm in a perilous place where I don't have a home church because I don't want to go to white dominant church because I see the empire. But my people of color church, like and they're busy helping their people. I mean, church for people of color is always about justice, not so much within white world. And so, like, you know, how do you reconcile all that? If we have a lot, hundreds of years of history. And, I mean, we need a Truth and Reconciliation Council developed for our country, but we, we kind of need it in church world, too. I mean, why would you want to do it in a church world? I mean, that that's sort of like trying to get righteous all of a sudden. Well, look... Jesus's model is kind of about reconciliation and you can't reconcile unless you own your stuff. So I am well aware of my garbage stuff. <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know, you know, we get back to this posh, the only posture we know of, of leadership is vertical leading. And then we create kingdoms and empire and dominance. I mean, that's right. The, the little history of the world, it's all about dominance. You know, hopefully we're getting to a mindset where because of globalization, because of technology and a lot of other things, because of the president we have, that we, we've got to reconcile, like, wow, we've got some serious disruptions. How do we get to a different place in this country and in church in general? Um, well, you th- we, we, you're talking that so you're throwing around this word reconciliation on two well multiple fronts. There we can look at that, but what are we reconciling back to? What, what is that point that we're that we want to return to? I mean, when was it a certain way that we need to get back to? We're we talking from the faith component side, or we're we're talking from just from the world as general, from this country, looking at what has transpired for hundreds of years. I mean, what are we trying to get back to the point where the boats came over and we're going to 
reverse that process and send the boats back the other way? Well, um, I think human equality, I mean, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, this is a really hard thing. This is a really, really hard thing because um, we, we're in a country where many of us, no matter of your skin color, have a lot of privilege. Now, there's still a lot of systemic injustice, um, structural. It seems sociopolitical almost, if I have to pick a word. Um, but just honoring everyone's humanity, I, I don't know. You tell me. I, I think we need to honor humanity. Um, I think I think that's that's probably you're headed on the right track there with honoring humanity and one and uh, the self worth of each and every one of us and and our individualistic um, contributions wherever they may be and however they may shape themselves. But still, we can't. It always has to be a layer on top of those in order to uh, facilitate any any type of um, conversation about. Shalom or peace. I just, I think reconciliation might be a tricky word to try and uh, to keep throwing out there when we really don't understand what it is we're trying to reconcile back to. Uh, it's always yeah, and and you know, yeah, and that might not be the right word. I mean, right. that's probably part of my Christianese. I'll own it. Um, yeah. I think at least in this country. I, I I like um I just heard uh Danielle Allen who's head of the ethics department at uh Harvard, I think is where she's at. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights among these life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I, I think that's where we that's where we need to get. <laughs> and I don't know the right word or the process. Maybe, maybe, maybe there there isn't one. Maybe and maybe it's part of the problem that we keep trying to create these uh, these I don't know these syllables or these these words to 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 bring about some attention to something in order to validate what we're trying to do instead of just uh, going back to what you just stated or going, going back to our faith roots um, and, uh, and dealing with it. Because then it becomes harder, especially if you're dealing from the faith component side, uh, because there's so much to give up. It's just a lot to give up and and maybe we're not willing to give it up uh, in order order to get there because, I agree. And, you know, I think one of the things I've really been thinking deeply about is about how shame plays into this, you know, through nationalism and individualism. You know, there's just a lot of shame, and, um, and, and you don't know what to do with it. Honestly, I know, I mean, people within the created white race, I think people really want to do something, but all these systems are in place. How do you get major systemic reform within every area of life with with major polarization going on in everything? It's just overwhelming some days. But, if, I mean, if it's that overwhelming, then what what is the... The rational solution, the rational solution. We can't just okay. all go in a cave and close the door. Can I give you some door. ideas? Sure. You can't. Sure. So let me give you some ideas. Like when, when my friends in the creative white race ask me what to do, there's a few tangible things. Get white people need to develop friendships with people of color, not just the token person at work. Like you've you got to have people over on your front porch. Um, talking or over for dinner. You need to develop friendships of color if you really want to help this out. 
um, you need to, we need to honor the humanity of every person. So one of the things I talk about in these posts, because one of my African-American friends of color is just like, you know, women cross the street when they see me walking, even when I'm dressed up. I'm like, we need to, on the street, you need to acknowledge people of color, greet them, talk to them. Every person of color in my neighborhood, I mean, I'm pretty chatty, so not everybody wants to talk, but I try to start a conversation. And the third thing is, and I think this is really uh, rational, when you fill out a questionnaire, every questionnaire in this country drives me nuts because we're, we're all divided up and segmented by race, and white is always a box. So when you have a chance to comment on any questionnaire you fill out, every person should begin saying, please take white off the list. White is not a race. Because we've got to come to terms with this in some way. And how do you deconstruct the story unless you start getting people to think about, wait, I'm white. Well, what does that mean? It means, well, for me, it means I have a German-English heritage, but I don't like identifying as white because to me it it means I'm part of the dominant thing going on. So it's it's hard. I I have an identity crisis many days. Well, so what do you think? Three the, yeah, I mean, so if if you had that crisis, then everyone else is having the same crisis. I just read an article uh, recently. Uh, uh, it was in uh, I think it was maybe the Baltimore Sun or uh, some editorial piece somewhere in Baltimore, Washington, by a Nigerian stating. They weren't black until they came to this country. I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's, it is definitely, we have a huge U.S. thing because of our heritage, and um, oh, we got to deal with it. Um, one of the things I think is interesting, um, I listened to Isabel Wilkerson in On Being with Krista Tippett, and she really felt like truth and reconciliation really like something really needed to start in the south because that's where the problem started that's the home dirt of the problem at least within this country so i'm like not to put it back on you y'all charles but i I mean i think there's something to that i mean and the way it manifests in the north, you know, I live in this very segregated city, and I see it. I mean, like I, everything, you know, how do we unstack poverty? Well, we have to unstack wealth. Really, to me, that's the answer. But, but that ties into individualism and our view of prosperity, of moving up, and and I, we've got a lot of twisted webs. But I divert back to. Some of this needs to start in the south. Of that. Well, uh, that's, that's another conversation because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to go there okay. because I'll be here in two hours if I talk about that. You know, about somebody getting lost, and and that's the only reason it's starting in the south. But anyway, but I don't think it started in the south. I think it started uh, long before then because of human nature. Uh, because uh, because if we go even go back to the, the times back over there in England when they were uh, doing the same same type of thing. It just, uh, you know, it wasn't black, it was darkies, it was whatever um, other name yeah. they gave the folks then. So it, 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 it started many, 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 many years long before um, uh, the landing here. Uh, but one, one of the things, you, you stated something about um, mm. we all need to form these friendships uh, we, not me, since I'm since I'm a person of color. Maybe I need to form friendship, more friendship with people of color. But um, anyway, um, uh, well, I just being facetious now. But um, uh, define what you talk. Define friendship. What do you mean by friendship? What is friendship to you? A relation. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, a relationship with someone that you desire to spend time with. A person that you can have a with relationship with. A person 
who you've got their back and they've got yours because it's a chosen with relationship. And so the determinant for that is is based on on what? I mean, do I have everybody's back, or am I capable of having everybody's back, or do I have to well, even many, further break that down? Close, how many close friends do you have? You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't know how you break that down. I mean, as a woman, <clears throat> women tend to be social creatures, and we like a lot of friends. Um, I think it looks different with women and men, and I hate to get back to gender, but Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got me down into a lot of rabbit holes here, Charles. Well, you know, that's what we do when we talk, and that's what we have. We have these front porch conversations. We 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 go down to those those holes because evidently something needs to come out of there, Uh, and that's what we need to 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 look at. Because I think when we talk, we talk about friendship, and we start defining it, then we 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 again start this restrictive behavior with people on another level, on a, a totally different level, because are we capable even of that friendship without qualification or is that, or do we need that type of thing? Um, and I understand being a female, there, there may be some apprehensions and some drawbacks in some cases and, and, and as a man, the same thing, but, but then it makes it easier for us to, to transfer that to something else in terms of dealing with people of color or, or people of color dealing with, um, with whites. Uh, because one of the things that, and, and I was talking to someone yesterday, an older white, an older black person, and they were telling me that they were taught all their life, um, most of their life, uh, to, to associate with whites but don't trust them. Yeah. That's the same as my girlfriend. It's like, I don't know, how do you break down fear unless you have these friendships and front porch conversations? And still, I will some of my best black girlfriends, like we still struggle through this fear trust thing with words. It's, it's hard in picking words. And like, I hear your word because of what I've been taught of fear, or I hear your words because of what I have learned to not trust, or because I've been burnt how many times over and over again. It's hard. But do I mean? But sure, it's hard. But you know, it's just like getting in a marriage, um, and you know, one one spouse cheats on the other, or whatever, or some incident comes up. I mean. Do we then throw the person away or void ourselves of those type relationships? Or you know, or, well, or, that that was a loaded gun. I think a lot of people do these days. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, that that's a that's a tough comparison. Um, but I think, that, but best friends are. Um, I mean, we we have to. I mean, we we're supposed to be best friends. At least friendship is there, as you however you want to define friendship. You know, in terms of entering into a type of relationship, but again, with certain qualifications. So, how do we work that into a relationship with a person of color, or or in my case, with a white person? How, based on historical stuff, uh, and not even. The history doesn't have to be 50 years ago. It can be in these days and time. It could be yesterday. How do we get past that? How do we, 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 we reconfigure that whole thing called friendship? Because one of the things I am noticing that the, the younger generation is a little more loose with that without less qualifications. Yeah, I think so too. I, 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 you know, you're, you're always supposed to have hope in our young people coming up. But I think, you know, because they've been raised in very diverse um, environments, 
many do not have the baggage we have. Though I will say um, it's still a shock moving from culture to culture. I mean, I think friendship's going to look different for everybody, just like living in different cultures and, and doing life looks different for everybody. Um, but just start the journey of whip in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, I, I think that's what it's about. It's about the journey of whip. So what what do we where do we need to back up to, Diane? I mean I mean it's gotta be some sort of starting point that we can uh, you know, that we can guide folks to or a process well I, mean, I hate to, no, I don't better not use the word process because we don't want to do too much of that because if friendships are gonna be honest and whole, then they need to be uh developed, they need to be nurtured. A whole lot of qualification, though, as it, as it as it grows, those type things will introduce themselves anyway. Yeah, and again, using your example of marriage, some you know, some days it's hard to stay in those friendships. It's like, are you are you in for the long haul? You know, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, but relationships are key in everything we do. I mean, even you, yeah. you, you reference to the CCDA, Christian Community Development Association. I mean, even in their models, we're talking about relationships. Uh, yeah. Uh, are our relationships and friendship the same? Are they synonymous? Are they two different entities and animals? Do can be can we be relational without being friends with people? Well. I think so. I mean, I think um, you do that in business all the time. You do that in church. You just, you know how you just feel like drawn to certain people. Um, I I mean, this is the thing. I think, you know, we have to stop and think. And I I think we just go and do so much that – you know, another Bible study, another group, another, it's like, okay, how about just stopping and really thinking, discerning, you know, have some mindfulness, some prayer about, you know, what, what can you personally do? What, because it'll look different for everybody, Charles, it really will. If there's one thing, you know, I'm pretty passionate about being, um, a relocation and redistribution practitioner only because that's how I've learned is is like living with people in a socioeconomic diverse neighborhood. Because when you live, if you went, when you start on this prosperity thing, once, especially once you're highly educated, you know, your next generation, you move up. You start on this journey, and then there's a, you separate yourself from people uh, who are not like you. So I, I like the CCD model, uh, CCDA model of relocation redistribution, because I think it's healthy. And everybody can choose to do that a little bit with an area of their life. Like, how are you going to relocate? You know, okay, so maybe relocation – Maybe you aren't going to move, but pick a friend that's not exactly like you. Well, okay. You know, I, I, I will go in there a little further, but I'm just going to ask you this question because I'm going to go back to this topic, deconstructing the story of white. In order to, to make these relationships and friendships work, how much of your privilege are you able to give up or want to give up? Oh, well. Can you give it up? I guess it's a better question. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question because there are days like I chose to put my daughter in Chicago public schools and there are days I feel like, you know, why why didn't I put her in a private Christian school? You know, I, I mean, there are days I feel like I gave up a lot putting her in public school. Like 
her and me both, you know. But then I think, well, okay, we had this privilege, you know, going in Chicago public schools, like, caused me to get over some of my white fragility. I mean, I still struggle with that, but um, I gave up some privilege with that. But, I mean, it's a choice. Anytime you have privilege, it's a choice to surrender, to give it up in some way, shape, or form. And privilege now comes, I mean, there are different forms of privilege. You know, when you're educated, you become privileged. When you, if you live in a certain area or you, I mean, there are different levels and different areas of privilege and postures of dominance. By by virtue of your birth, you you were country definitely right. okay yeah. all right definitely and, yeah. I own so, that yeah yeah so in reality you can't give it up it's there yes that's correct that part mm-hmm. of it yes okay so as you go along in life from there. Uh, the education, money, or or social status is just added on to it in terms of dominant privilege. What is there to give up? If you're having a conversation or forming this relationship with a person of color, there is no equal standing in the conversation just to st- starting off, except that both of you are human beings. That's it. Everything else is unequal. Yes, when you're talking about systemic structures, although I think about talking to Danielle Allen, who is the ethics chair at Harvard University. Um, She's pretty smarty-pants pedigreed. Like, her privilege... she is. She would be called to speak at something, and I wouldn't. Is that privilege, or is that just education? I think it would be education, and and, well, and, and I, that's I, dependent I, on the subject, and that's dependent on the subject matter at the same time. But is she? But I'm talking about two people living on the same street. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. Let's leave that part of it out. Uh, the only thing we have in common um, at that point is that, that we live on the same street uh, and nothing else is equal. Nothing. With the way even, even if I made more, even if I made more money than you, even if I had more education, still there's no equality starting off. I agree. So I don't know then, how we get over that. We have... Right. Twelve generations of people. We we have a deep heritage of inequality, even though I read our declaration that's about equality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in effect, what, what we're doing is uh, we, we're per, per, I guess we're continually keeping a system in place to keep people. Uh, not only hostage, but the, to to make the uh, the class, the dominant class, always seem that they are being challenged or threatened by people of color because of their uh, continual climb to better themselves one way or another. Uh, it's sort of like when I was working up in the Appalachian region, um, and they would tell the poor whites, that you are in this status because of something that the blacks are doing. You know what I mean? So it's like, um, you know, keeping always keeping that strife between the races. You know, because this, these blacks are going to school, they're getting the education, so therefore they're taking away something from you. And so it, it causes yeah. this this, this boogeyman effect, you know, that that keeps perpetuating this hostility and uh, unreal right. hostility. I, I, I agree. I I agree. And I mean, that goes back deep 
I remember listening to podcasts of, in Alabama and like the steel industry or, uh, down there and, and the history of that and how, I mean, uh, yeah, it's deep and it's, and it's ingrained within our, within capitalism and our economic structures. So, 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 what is the solution? Where do we start? We're realizing all of these things that are in our way that uh, that are keeping us from a deeper conversation. Where where do we go from here? Where do we go? How do we make this more global in terms of a front porch conversation? Well. I'm not sure, but I think we just keep praying and plugging away um, be, because we have some major disruptions in the world, which are quite obvious, and I'm hoping heads and hearts will connect and um, I don't know if we'll see this equality thing figured out in our lifetime, Charles. I don't I don't know. But I'm hopeful. Um and and well, I I'm I'm still on a journey. I'm, I, I as you are. Yeah, and and that's true and we'll we'll keep on that, but we need more soldiers on this on this journey. We need some more folks to or engaging more folks, and especially in in our generation, uh, it, it you know one of the things I see with the younger people, they're not willing to put up as with as much stuff, you know, as as has been occurring over the years that we've put up with. Oh, I know. I and there's know. a there's there's an inherent danger if we don't start paying attention to them and at least engage them in, in some sort of conversation and not just one of those, you know, uh, rocking chair conversations where we tell them they need to wait for some occurrence, some, some biblical occurrence to happen uh, because they're, they're not, they're not waiting for anything. And I can't really blame them. I really can't really blame them because. Uh, yeah, I can't either. I can't either. I, I mean, like, what does it say for our generation? I just, like, I don't know. We're old and tired. I mean, there's 10,000 baby boomers a day retiring in this country. And, and, that's, and that's not nothing to applaud about. I mean, that's just, uh, it's, it's just a way utilizing what we've gathered over the years and, and to make a better change, we just re retire from everything we just uh we just leave the world floating out there as it is and 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 hopefully that we don't have to deal with it until we we become ashes or whatever point in our life is that it in occurs so even looking at the ccda model if it's about engaging if it's about relationship development it's about that transfer of self into the community and connecting with one another. It has to be more uh, driven. It has to be driven better. It has to be hammered out there and, and taken it and utilized and spread throughout all of our communities and not just look at it as some um, celebrated occurrence that occurs every once in a while. If that makes sense, if it makes sense. But I just, I just think we we need to expand our model and expand it quickly. I think you and I look at this season of life as our legacy season. I mean, we're trying to figure it out, but right. I don't know that most people our age look at it that way. You know, right. um, so yeah, that's something to figure out. Um, and I will say. Um, Again, this vertical versus a lateral with posture, I mean, mm -hmm. it just is such a tension. Um, I, I'm hoping others with emotional intelligence or whatever it takes to connect your heart to your head, that it's not just theology, that it's living an orthopraxy or a practice mm -hmm. based around 
a good, um, a solid orthodoxy of equality, liberty, and justice for all? Well, when, when, going back to your white ladies' chat, what, what is the next direction you're taking that? Where are you going with that in a few minutes we got left? Um, uh, give us some idea of where you're going with that in terms of deconstructing the story of white. Well, I think, well, first of all, I'm just trying to go to the people that don't even realize it's a story. I mean, that it's a thing. I mean, there's still a lot of people. I was reading, I think it's David Leon's book, Race and Place. Like, I don't know, 70% of a lot of the white population in this country still don't have friendships with people of color. Like, there's still this prevailing white thing that in, in, like, they don't even, because of nationalism or because of, Whatever it is, I think there's a lot of different reasons in every different culture. Like, you don't even realize it's a thing. Hmm. It's like yeah. something you read about in in a half a chapter of a history book, and it's all over because laws have changed, and law means justice. And we all know, as Dr. Perkins always says, law does not mean justice. True, 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 true. But But still... I mean, I enjoy reading your chats, um, obviously, and 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 will continue to to follow them. But I I think how I, I not think I I guess what needs to be done is people like you exercise some semblance of freedom in this world um, and in their communities need to to get these conversations and 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 to be more intentional about front porch uh, discussions. Because too often it just becomes words written somewhere and there's no discussion on it. Uh, so tell me, my friend, how are you going to make that happen? How are you going to get more of these conversations? Are you going to go down to Rashida's coffee shop and start a session there? Or we're just going to open up your front porch and see what happens? Well, oh, I have, I have, I have conversations on my front porch. I mean, in my neighborhood, we call it the Stoop Club. We have some good conversations. Um, but I live in Chicago, a city of neighborhoods, and we, well, we try to have good conversations, I'll say, in my neighborhood. Um, it's just, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I'll be very honest. It, um, My neighborhood is, very diverse. I would say the people in the creative white place that live here um, are highly educated, read a lot. Most of them tend to be very liberal. Um, my neighborhood's rapidly gentrifying, so my many of my um, neighbors who have lived here for 30 years are, you know, being pushed out. That's another whole tension in the neighborhood. And, you know, that's hard to explain to those who move in that are on this up model. I mean, part of this whole thing, Charles, for me, I've just come down to we need to redefine what prosperity looks like in this country. Because there are, this up thing, like once you get to a certain level, it's just not working. Right, it's right. up, go, and more. And so to me, that's always the question that ties in to the creation of a posture of dominance. Okay. It's race, but it's also class. Yeah, that I agree with. That I agree with. And that's a whole and other gender. conversation. Yeah. And gender, which is a whole yeah. other conversation. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and we're going to continue this conversation soon, but our time has run out today. It's, it's been great, Diane. Great, Diane. I really enjoyed this conversation with you and look forward to some others in the future uh, to share with our Thanks. with our audience. Um, so we're going Thanks, to tell everybody Charles. today. Yeah, go out and have a conversation with somebody. 
start that friendship, exactly. start that level, exactly. start that relationship, and, and don't put any qualifications on it. See you next time. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.